This is the Startup Pregnant Podcast, episode number three. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. Life can be really unpredictable, especially when you're getting ready to add a baby to your life. The sponsor of this episode, Aeroflow Breast Pumps, is dedicated to making the hassle of getting your breast pump a little bit easier. Actually, a lot easier. Head to aeroflowbreastpumps.com slash startup to have them help you qualify for a free breast pump through insurance. And stick around because at the end of this episode, I'll walk you through how it works and tell you a little bit more of how Aeroflow breast pumps can save you so much time. This podcast is made possible by sponsors like you. Consider supporting this podcast with a monthly donation on our Patreon page. Head to patreon.com slash startup pregnant. We've got folks who we call our coffee friends who donate the equivalent of a cup of coffee each month to make this show possible. And we're backed by companies we believe in that can help make the lives of busy entrepreneurs and parents a little bit easier. If you want to become one of our company sponsors, head to startuppregnant.com slash podcast and get in touch. So today we get to talk about what it takes when you suddenly become a mom. There isn't one path to becoming a mother, and I've been really curious about exploring lots of the different stories. That's one of the reasons this podcast exists. Whether it's becoming a stepmom, adopting kids, being a single mom, or being surprised that you're becoming a mother, motherhood is a complex and interwoven journey. That applies to parenthood as well. Today, I'm interviewing Nicole Walters. She's an entrepreneur based out of Washington, D.C. She became a foster mom to three kids that she calls her tinies, and she tells the story of how these kids came into her life and her journey in becoming their mother. Before we talk about that, we go back to what her childhood was like growing up in the U.S. as the daughter of two African immigrants. I met Nicole while we were both speaking at a conference for bloggers. We were talking to business owners in Boise, Idaho earlier this year, and her energy and enthusiasm made us become fast friends. I have to say, I was really grateful for her support when I was backstage. She was like, you got this, Sarah. And it really made me feel just like even more excited to go on stage and to be a part of this conference. And as an entrepreneur, Nicole has a very impressive resume. She quit her job in front of 40,000 people, and she started out on her own and had a huge success her first year. Today, she's the founder of The Monetized Life, and she specializes in what she calls income makeovers, something we'll get into as well on today's show. So I'm so grateful to Nicole for taking the time to join me on this podcast. Before we get started, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a comment and a review and take five minutes to write a note or put a comment up or give us one of our first reviews because that is what helps support us so much and tell other people about this podcast. All right, let's dive into our chat with Nicole. Hi, everybody. I'm Sarah Peck. And today I have Nicole Walters on the line. She is amazing. I met her at a conference in Boise where she absolutely cracked me up. She smashed it on stage talking about rich friends, building your business and monetizing yourself. She's also the foster mom to three 
kids that she calls Tinies, and I'm so excited to have her here today and to ask her lots of questions and to get her wisdom and insight. So, Nicole, welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast. Hello, Sarah. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you. I had such an amazing time with you at the conference and seeing you on stage, so I'm so glad that you're here, that my audience can hear more about you and all about you because you are so spectacular. It was serendipity, Sarah, okay? I did not expect that when we would meet in Boise that it would be like this lifelong friendship. I've claimed it. It's happening. Claim it. It's done. It's done. (laughs) So we had such a blast. It was really good. And we got to giggle a little bit and talk backstage as well. Mm -hmm. And I got to learn more about you. And I said, I have to have you on the show. I want to know. I want to know more. And I know that your story is out there. You've spoken a lot about how you grew up and how that influenced your business. But can you start by telling people who don't know yet... What was it like growing up? What was your childhood like? Where does Nicole come from? Gosh, I even really talk about that much. I don't. So this is exclusive. But I grew up in Washington, D.C., and I'm the daughter of two African immigrants. They worked really, really hard to come here. They are, I think after like 18 years, became U.S. citizens, and they were here with the intent to give us the American dream. They both knew very well that their opportunities were limited and that they wanted to make sure that we had access to everything. What was kind of funny about that process was my dad didn't quite understand how things worked here. So for instance, my dad, who was a cab driver for almost 40 years, he uh, would read to me because he heard somewhere, probably on NPR, one of those radio stations that you know, it's really important to read to your kids. So Mm. I had the dad who was like, okay, that's cool. But you know, we know as moms, the rest of us, that that means like Dr. Seuss, right? You know, and Mm. like things like that. No, my dad was reading the Metro section of of the (laughs) newspaper. He was picking up Chinua Achebe's Things Fall Apart. My dad was reading Tolstoy to me because he was like, well, they said you should read to your kids. You know, (laughs) he was just grabbing books and reading them to me. So that was kind of the home that I grew up in where I was always kind of treated a little bit like a mini adult, you know, but Mm. also being told like, hey, you know, you're here for a purpose. You have the access to the greatest opportunities in the world. And there's no excuse for you not to be and do your best. So I would spend a lot of times in the front passenger seat of a taxi cab driving around Washington, D.C., looking at the place where it all happens and wondering, how am I going to get to be part of this? Wow. So how did that set the stage for your foray into the world of work and then into entrepreneurship? You know, I ended up getting to go to some of the best schools, again, in a very like fate-driven, God-driven way where my dad had a passenger at one time who was, I think, like the head of some education board, as is common in D.C. And this passenger told him, you know, my dad was getting ready to enroll me in D.C. public schools, not knocking them, but, you know, in D.C. there are a lot of opportunities. And my dad said, you know, he was getting ready to enroll his daughter. And this passenger was like, no, I can get her into one of the elite private schools on a full scholarship if you're willing to do the work. So my dad dad was like, sure, you know, what do I need to do? So he filled out paperwork and I got to go to all of these amazing schools. So I went to the schools with the likes of Chelsea Clinton, Al Gore Jr., you know, some of the elite private schools. And then I went to Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore. So I say all this to say, you know, sure, I I probably didn't learn much along the way, just how to say fancy words. But, (laughs) but... (laughs) did happen was at a very young age, I was thrust into this world where, you know, I was maybe having one meal a day and sleeping on a couch until I was 12, but going to school with diplomats and some of the wealthiest in the nation. For the longest time, I was trying to figure out what's the difference because I knew that I was excelling in school. I knew that I was, you know, able to make friends easily and that I I did very well, but there seemed to be some disparity. There seemed to be some gap there. And, and I didn't understand what it was. And my dad would drive me around and say things like, there's 
there's an office building and there's someone's name on it. And that name is a person. You know, if you work hard in America, you can either clean the inside of one or you can have your name on the outside of one. And you need to figure out what you need to do for there to be a difference. And that's just stayed with me my whole life. So, you know, I went through the corporate ladder, you know, I got the office with my name, you know, on the office and the business cards. But then I realized that if I really want to get my name on the outside, I'm going to have to take a little bit of a different course. I'm going to have to take a couple risks. So I became an entrepreneur. That sounds so amazing. And also what a life to have one foot over in one world and another foot over another world and every day be faced with both of them. How did that, how did that affect your psyche and your emotional well-being and how you thought of yourself as a person? Sure. So, I mean, without a doubt, it definitely affected, you know, I have this thing called imposter syndrome, which is very common with entrepreneurs, but essentially it's where you have a hard time realizing your own accomplishments. It's where you have a really hard time sort of acknowledging all the work you may have put in to get the success that you have because success doesn't happen by accident, right? You don't just show up and, you know, pick it up at the target. You know, you have to do something (laughs) to get it, right? So what's hard is, I would be in these circumstances and, and just struggle with the whole like, wow, how'd I get here? You know, and and I mean, I was having one of those moments when I was at the conference with you, Sarah, where, you know, I'm there and like chatting up Seth Godin and he's just like nodding his head and laughing at stuff that I'm saying. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like, what is my <laughs> like, what's my life right now? And anyone who knows Seth and you know him really well, like, you know, knows that he's just an approachable, nice, friendly guy. Like, that's not weird for him. But I just couldn't believe that I was even in that space, you know, breathing that type of air, the Seth Godin air. You know, like, totally, that, totally. You know what that is? I don't even know what that is. I say things that are weird. But, the, you know, it's that was always the biggest struggle. And I mean, I didn't have a name for it when I was younger, but I knew that I often felt like I knew that my journey wasn't the same as these people. And yet I was fortunate enough to be in these same spaces. And I also knew that that meant, you know, to who much is given, much is expected, that I needed to work really hard to bring other people into this opportunity and let other people see what it's like, quote unquote, on the other side. If I can do it, they can too. Wow. Wow. So it sounds like imposter syndrome is something that is still alive and present. And I'll confess, I feel it all the time, right? (laughs) Even on this podcast, it's like, who am I to start a podcast? What does that mean? Right? So what do you do with it? How do you deal with it? How do you embrace it? And what are some of your ways of reconciling with imposter syndrome? Sure. So one of my tactical things that I do is every quarter, I actually just make a list of what I've done in a very like matter of fact way that doesn't feel like I'm flattering myself because a part of imposter syndrome is that it's kind of weird to compliment and acknowledge and all that. So I'd work really hard to make a list like, what have I done this quarter? You know, like, have I done this and have I done this? And I have to fight really hard not to get into the whole, but you didn't do this, you didn't do this, you know, like, because that's <laughs> right, a battle, right. you know, but I try to write down all the things like, I did this or I hit this monetary goal or I, you know, help this many people. And, and in writing down that list, when I look back on it and success shows up, I can say the reason why you got this feature in Entrepreneur Magazine, the reason why you got a keynote speaking part at this engagement is because of this list of things you did. And as much as you want to say or feel or your brain is lying to you and telling you that you aren't accomplished, you did all of these things. And recently I started incorporating things that I do that aren't just business related because as a mom, I, I beat myself up a lot, like which what mom doesn't, you know, but I'm always like, I'm not home enough or I missed one more bedtime or I could have had one more cuddle or I didn't put dinner on at this time. And so I started adding stuff to that list. Like I got my kid enrolled or every single, my kid had perfect 
attendance this month or put a healthy dinner on the table every single day or I drank 100 ounces of water. Just like real life accomplishments that we often sweep under the rug as not that important. I've started writing down because they're moments of growth for me and they deserve to be celebrated. I love that so much. And so many of the things you just listed too are things that you'd beat yourself up for if you don't do, but then if you do them, you're like, no, whatever. Well, what big deal? So <laughs> no big easy, deal. right? Like, at least, like, I kept my kid alive. Yeah, isn't that what everyone does? It's like, no. Like, like, no, that's not what everyone does. I will, I'm not even kidding. Just this past week, I took my 15-year-old to the doctors for, like, her annual exam before school started, and they're like, yep, everything came through. She's clear. Her blood works good. Her vitamin levels are good. I was like, can we have a round of applause for me right now as a mom? My kid is not dying collectively. And I, like, sure enough made everybody clap for me because I deserved it. You know what I mean? I was like, look at me. You know, we're going to celebrate me keeping my kid alive right now because this right here, huge. Like you guys would understand every day it is touch and go in my house. Like this is a big deal. I'm going to have my moment. We all had a, a laugh about it, but like inside I was secretly like, I didn't kill her. You know, know? she's doing great. Not only a clean bill of health, like everything's good, good vitamin levels, right? Everything's good, you know, mental well being. Like she has clear skin. Like I'm really, I'm winning on all fronts right now. That's amazing. Okay. So I really want to ask you about this. So you are the mom of three, right? It's three, three little girls, three, and you're a foster mom. Can you tell us what that means and when you became a mom and that backstory? Yeah, sure. So this is a backstory that I tend not to share often or on stage, but I will tell you because we're friends, Sarah. So, and I've shared, I think once ever on stage and I don't really talk about it on scope, but my girls are cleared with it, but I am not a conventional foster mom, meaning I didn't go through a regular foster mom certification program. My kids are not government sanctioned, if you will, or, you know, they didn't come to me from that way. But essentially what happened was back in October of 20, oh gosh, 2014, my husband and I were going out for dessert. And when we were going out for dessert, we bumped into a lady who was panhandling and she had what would be my youngest daughter who had just turned three on the street with her. And we stopped to give her a dollar and just kind of, you know, chat her up. And after that, we continued on to get dessert. The restaurant was closed. I came back because I couldn't believe that you know, it just didn't seem right. You know, that mom feeling where you're just like, which you don't have to be a mom to get the mom feeling. It's the same feeling that you feel when you're walking down an aisle of a grocery store and you see a kid about to fall and, and you kind of lurch forward to catch them. It's that feeling. And I just knew that something wasn't right. So we stopped and we decided to take them out to dinner just so I could, you know, do my nosy thing and ask them more. And when I did, it became very clear that there were a lot of other issues going on aside from poverty, you know, drug use, mental health, you know, things of that sort. And I was just very concerned for the well-being of this younger one. And so I asked the mother mentioned that she had two more at home you know, at home being a small like Section 8 apartment. And she said, you know, if you want to meet them. So my initial intentions were just to sort of provide a mentorship role. And that's kind of what it was for about six months. Mm -hmm. I would bring groceries weekly to the family to make sure the kids had food. And I would pick them up every day after school, the three girls. And I would actually keep my youngest, you know, with me most of the time because she was so young and her parents were heavily addicted. That's what it was for actually about a month, not six months. And then I found out after a month's time that their mother was going to jail for a year for a variety Mm -hmm. of crimes. And her intention was to let the children go into the system. So it was at that point, about a month after we met her, that my husband, who's an attorney, drafted up some papers for us to take custody of the girls. So we had the girls into our home at that time. And 
when her mother came out, you know, it just was very clear that it was probably the most stable situation for them to remain with us. So we did that. And we did that for about a year and a half. And then we knew that we needed to move to like a different school district and get a different home and just move everything around and then also get some paperwork to make it official. So as of August 2016, that's exactly what we did. You know, these are our daughters, they call us mom and dad, and we've we've had them ever since. That's how I became a mom. It's not a traditional foster situation, but it was exactly what it needed to be. Hmm. Hmm. So I have so many questions about this. Like, and and tell me as much or as little as you're comfortable with, because obviously this is very personal. Did you want to become a mom? Did you know that motherhood was something you always wanted to participate in? Was this more of like a wow, this is a, an opportunity that's in front of me, and I'm I'm doing this? How was your experience of going through this transformation? In reference to wanting to be a mom, I found a letter that I wrote to myself in like 10th grade because my teacher, Duncan Creeble was like, you got to write these letters to yourself. So I found this letter. And in the letter, I said I wanted to be a mom. Mm. I can tell you, though, not really what I, I thought when I was older. You know, my husband, we discussed like possibly having children, you know, but we wouldn't even start until I was around 32. And I just turned 32 last year. By then, I'd had kids for three years. You know, so <laughs> there's just a lot of other things I wanted to do first. So that's the truth of it. Parenting was not something that I saw in the car for me timing wise or in the near future. That said, going through this transition with getting the girls, when we first met them, the intention was to just be present and do whatever they need to be successful. That was my focus. So whatever that meant, whether it was just providing food or making sure they had clothes or giving them a good Christmas or inviting them over or answering questions or being a mentor, whatever it was, that was what I was going to do. And I'm a very big believer that if you get into any type of mentoring or fostering or whatever with children, what those kids need more than like stuff and love is a consistency of presence. Mm. So honestly, that's parenting, right? Like they, yes. like, you know, kids just want you around. They want you to be present. And so what I knew was that once I was in, I couldn't get out or I wouldn't get out. That just wasn't right. Like, so, and I remember looking at my husband that very first night and saying, we can never leave. Mm. Like, like once we're in, we're in, you know, so this is our time to decide because once we're in, we're in. And then as each stage kind of progressed where they were spending more time at our house and the first overnight stay and our first like kind of vacation together and the first summer they spent with us. And, you know, the first time I was going to their school, each time I would talk to my husband and say, we're going a step further. If we're going to go further, we can't ever come back on this step. You know, right. like this is a new level. No, I didn't anticipate it. If you'd asked me three years ago if I'd be, you know, a mom of three kids with a kid going to college and one starting kindergarten and, you know, that I'd be 32 and doing all of this, absolutely not. But I also know that that's just how life is. And mm -hmm. I'm a woman of faith personally. So like, I always knew that God would provide for me. That was something that wasn't something that ever made me, you know, worried or nervous or scared or frightful. I wasn't scared as I did it, but I also knew that, I just did what felt right. If that makes any sense at all. And we I talk about it with my husband all the time. Like people look at us and they're like, what were you thinking? Like, how crazy is that? I can 100% tell you that when I look back on it, because I didn't know what I was getting into. It was almost like naivete, like serve me well, you know, to not, right, get, to not right. get too scared. You know what I mean? Because if I knew what I was doing, I never would have done it that way. So like when I look back and I see photos of my youngest Puffin, when I saw photos of her, if I'd known that she was 20 pounds underweight and, you know, vitamin deficient, all I saw was my cute little baby girl, you know, Aww. and I just need to feed her well and take good care of her and love her and teach her things. That's all I saw, you know, and in doing that, I corrected whatever was wrong, you know, that, mm -hmm. that was going on with her health. If I had known I would have been much more scared, you know, when I look back on it now. Like, I, I just didn't know what I was getting into. 
but isn't I was that true like, all the time right all the time oh, all the time <laughs> like it's to my benefit you know what I mean like right. it's to my benefit I'll never forget just at convert kit conference when we did the conference where I where we met I was hopping out of the elevator getting ready to go to the speakers dinner which I think was the first time we started chatting you know mm-hmm. um and I was like oh it's gonna be one of those boring speakers dinners where you just kind of like hop down and you you know everyone kind of chats like cheesily about their next venture and you know, whatever you know right and I was like and I bet you Seth isn't even gonna go so like because you know he's kind of a big deal so you know no big deal so I leave my hotel room like you know a couple minutes late getting ready to catch this you know lobby van and I get into the elevator and Seth is there yeah because, in the elevator <laughs> in the elevator because of course right like you know it's no big deal so I mean that's just how my life plays out and at this point I just stopped being surprised and I just started responding <laughs> you know like okay I'll be here I'll yeah. go along with it <laughs> oh a thousand percent so thank you that is such an intense and important story that you just shared with us and I actually feel compelled to, to tell you a little tiny story that I wasn't I'm never planning on sharing but oh, this is gonna be the best <laughs> best podcast ever listen everyone who's listening to this should actually tweet and email <laughs> everybody about this podcast this is like top secret ultra exclusive extra good extra good <laughs> well what what is so amazing is that when I was dating a whole bunch of people in my 20s I was very sure that I wanted to get married and have kids and there's that whole online profile oh. issue where it's like do you want kids do you want a family like how quickly do you bring it up when you're dating other people and I ended up putting in my bio I said family and kids are so important to me I may or may not have my own biological children because I can't control that right right but I right. will always have children in my life and whether that means I'm fostering a whole bunch of kids in my 40s or I'm working at the local high school or like I'm tutoring or mentoring a whole bunch of kids mm-hmm. like my life going forward and right now always has kids in it. And it was my way of filtering out a lot of people. Absolutely. <laughs> if it's weird for you, like move stage left. Yeah, <laughs> right, like, right. Absolutely. Right. So I don't think this is strange at all. In fact, I'm like, oh, Nicole is just living my other life. Like, oh my God, it's, so it's funny because like I love children. I just didn't realize how passionate I was about the whole like helping future generations. And I'm sure psychologically, if someone wanted to like psych me, you know, they'd probably be like, oh man, she's trying to heal her former self or some mess like that, you know, but I don't care. You know what I mean? I'll take it. Like I totally am like, I want to full on Oprah, open a school, like have all the babies, you know, like I'm so here for it. I don't think that I will. And I, and I know I'm going to jinx myself just because I said this, but I don't think I'll have any biological children of my own. Like, it's not something I'm actively looking to make happen, you know, because once you have three kids, it's like amazing birth control. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it is amazing birth control. Like, I mean, every day where I'm like, wouldn't it be cute if we just had like a boy or an infant? Like my six-year-old would come wailing, but like screeching across me like, I pooped just now. <laughs> and when she runs into the room doing that, I'm like, we just look at each other we're like, we're good. We might actually be good now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, but I do know just like you, I will always 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 try to do something to give back because isn't that what a legacy is really about you know just what you leave behind oh yes thank you yes okay so even though you didn't have this straight pregnancy route into motherhood (laughs) right maybe people who are pregnant have it slightly easier because they have nine months to prepare for this massive change that's coming forward and then i have a baby mama sarah right 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 yours came talking and walking and emotionally complicated so tell me a little bit about what that transition was like what was it like to shift into motherhood and what were some of the things that really surprised you 
Sure. So I actually went into motherhood and entrepreneurship at the same time. So I was in corporate when I had my kids, which was when I first got them and started being in their life, which was great because stable income, you know, I knew what to do to help them. You know, we had discretionary income, all that jazz. But then, you know, the entrepreneurship thing was just knocking. Like, I mean, I could not silence this thing inside me. And for the first time, the conversation had always been can we afford it? Can we do this? Can we that? You know, we paid off all our debt. We were like, oh yeah, sure. You know, now's the time. And then we had these kids, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, we were saying, we're like, well, what about the girls? You know, because we can never undo what we've done so far. We have to be here. Mm-hmm. So I was freaking out. You know what I mean? I was like, this is crazy. You know, how will I make this happen? And then eventually it was like, you know what? There's no perfect time. Like we're already parents. We can never stop being parents. So are we just not going to do this thing, you know, that you want to do? So I jumped into entrepreneurship and I got to tell you, if you can parent, you can be an entrepreneur mm-hmm. because you don't know anything about what you're doing and you're doing the most important job in the world. So that absolutely means that you can be an entrepreneur because going into entrepreneurship, I mean, that is the thing I'm faced with every day, a situation where it's like, I have no idea how to handle this. I've never done this before. And I need to use my resources. I have everything on the line and I've got to do it to the best of my ability. And I'm faced that with my kids. I've got a, you know, six-year-old I'm enrolling in kindergarten. I don't know what that's like. First time for everything, Mm -hmm. you know, like I've got a 17-year-old I'm sending to college and I'm tapping into my own personal experiences, but so many things have changed in the three years since I was in college because I started lying about my age this year. And, you know, like so much is going on and, you know, dealing with the teenager. So it's like, it's interesting because people have all this fear about starting a new venture and jumping into their, you know, first business. And can I hack it? Can I do it? Well, look, every day, if you can keep your kids alive, it means that you have the core skill set to be adaptable and flexible and responsive. And if you're able to do that there and keep a human alive, you can probably do it and keep a business afloat. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Amen. I always say people were like, Ooh, do you have project management skills? And I'm like, if you have been a breastfeeding mother, or you've like, (laughs) Had a child lunches, not three times a day because they eat like six times a day. Right, right. You know how to project manage. Like, done. You have your stamp of certification. Like, you've done it let's talk about the responsiveness. I mean, how many moms, like I've gotten phone calls in the middle of the day, like I was supposed to bring a lasagna for, you know, after school class. And I'm like, what? You know, it is 930 in the morning. And what am I doing? I am whipping together a lasagna, driving down the highway, taking a call with like a lasagna and a potholder in one hand in my passenger seat. So it doesn't spill everywhere. You know, like if you can handle those moments, you can handle whatever life's going to throw at you. Totally. And a lasagna is not an easy thing to whip together. It is. not. I mean, I'm not kidding. A potholder on one hand while balancing <laughs> it in the passenger seat saying if this goes wrong, if this goes left, it will be a full on disaster. So yeah, I can do anything. <laughs> I'm a superhero. <laughs> yes, you, you are. You actually are. So one of the things I want to ask you some questions about this amazing business that you have. One of the things that you coined was this term rich friend, which right. I love. You call everyone your rich friends. So how did that come about? What does it mean? Why is it so important? Sure, sure, sure. So it came about because I say ridiculous things. So that's like pretty much how Mm -hmm. most of the things happen. Essentially, I talk about how like, you know, no one, Gail has never complained that Oprah was her friend. She's never been like, oh, man, all my (laughs) friends are so rich. It's just awful. You know what I mean? Like nobody ever was like that. And if you're going through life, you know, it's important to catch, carry and collect and be close to people who are rich in multiple ways. So I have friends who are rich in purpose. I have friends who are rich in health and fitness. 
I have friends who are rich in family and spirit. Actually, most of my friends are rich in family because that is a core priority that I like to share with a lot of my peers because mm. it means that the advice is going to be from that standpoint. We never sacrifice or you know compromise family first. Everyone is rich in many different ways. And isn't that what we're seeking to have? Just lives that are just rich and bountiful and abundant in these different features. So, I mean, I seek to have rich friends and all my rich friends in my business, all my students are rich friends, anyone in my community, they're rich friends because they're already rich. We're just working on the money part, you know, and that part's mm. easy if you get these other things in line. So yeah, that's where that came from. And I love it because people, they really get it. They're like, I am rich, you know, and it's like, and I'm just waiting on all my money, you know, <laughs> that's all yes. that is. Yes. Oh, I love how you define it. I love that it's about abundance and it can be in so many different areas. You might have a rich friend who is so rich in musical talent mm -hmm. or like right. a rich friend dinner where you're all sitting on the floor eating like leftover spaghetti, but you have yes. such amazing conversations. Absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. And like, that's what we want to collect. You know, like, yes, there is some advantage to collecting the financial stuff, but you know what I've learned? After you can make a ton of money, nothing else matters but having the people around you that you can love, impact, and spend that time with. So yeah, I want to be rich. I want to be rich in all of these different areas, not just financially. Mm -hmm. So on stage, on stage uh -huh. at ConvertKit, you talked about the rich friend mindset and you you had the whole audience like standing up and responding to you. And you're like, <laughs> you were like having fill in the blanks about Kim Kardashian and like, right. <laughs> we do not do and everyone had to respond. So can you share a little bit of how you got this wisdom and what this wisdom is that you're so passionate about, about this rich friend mindset? Sure. So I got to tell you, one thing you learn after the age of 30 is that you don't really know anything. And like, where do you get <laughs> off? Like, try to tell people stuff. So, like, so just to be completely honest, where do I get this wisdom? I don't know. You know what, I mean? I, what I do know is that these are the things that have worked for me. And if people are telling me, hey, you know, Nicole, you have aspects of your life that I wish to attain, whether it's a happy marriage or kids that are, you know, only driving you sane four days a week, you know, or only driving you crazy four days a week, or you've got a bank account that I like to have or a career or, you know, beautifully exfoliated skin, whatever. I like to share my secrets. So, I mean, that's where they come from. My rich friend manifesto is basically just a breakdown of the things that I believe in, the things that I apply every single day in order to find the success that I have. And obviously, you know, business is dynamic. People are changing. I'm sure these, I hope that they evolve over time as I learn more. But for now, they work for me. So um, a couple of them is like the first thing that I always believe in is do the work. Now, mm. do the work is the thing that I will if there's nothing else anyone takes away from me, it's hammer home. Because really, if you want to build what others only dream about, you have to do what they only talk about. And what's crazy is there are so many people who are afraid to roll up their sleeves and get off the couch and take action. And they ask me all the time, Nicole, like, what are you doing to get an advantage? What are you doing to be a differentiator? Well, you know what? My work ethic. I grew up poor. I didn't have a lot of the resources. I didn't have the tools and the extras, you know, but what I had was the time and I had crazy work ethic and determination to not be a statistic. And if you are out there willing to work harder than the person next to you, no one will ever beat you, period. So if you're willing to do the work, you are going to be rich in all different facets. So that's one of the key tenets of being a rich friend. But yeah, I got a bunch of them. Like, I also like things that rhyme. I feel like it helps people remember better. So yeah, <laughs> yeah go on. Okay, so balance is bogus. That's one that yes. I learned as a mom. 
And it's the thing that, gosh, there's just so many people who are like, balance, 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 <laughs> life, balance, joy, balance, balance. I'm like, look, I'm going to keep it all the way real. We have 100%. That's all we've got, right? So knowing that we've got to juggle work, family, self-care, you are going to drop the ball on one of those things all the time. Right. All the time, there's going to be a ball on the floor. And you know what? That's okay. Forgive yourself for the long nights and the missed moments. Take time when you need it. Embrace that imbalance is part of the journey. You know, and that's where... I gave myself the freedom to say, you know what, like today I didn't shower and you know what, that's fine. On Fridays we shower, you know, (laughs) (laughs) a thousand percent, you know, that's part of it. What's the another one? Oh, disrupt, don't duplicate. So this is a big one, like, and this is more business driven than life driven. But gosh, there are so many every time we scroll down Facebook, there's a new ad or something telling us how we need to do things like this person in order to be great. And you know what, the world doesn't need another carbon copy, right? It needs people who are brave enough to build something different or better or new. And I know that for me, one of the things that's just really helped me whenever I walk into a room or as I built my business or when I hop online is recognizing that I want to be original in a sea of sameness. Mm. I want to be the person that when people see me, they're just like, I don't know anyone like this crazy girl, whether it's because <laughs> I make them laugh or because, you know, my skin is so radiant that they just cannot believe the mahogany undertone shining out from it. You know, like whatever <laughs> it is, <laughs> whatever it is, I want people to be able to say, gosh, you know, she inspires me to be my best self, not be her best self or her version. And when I focus on being a disruptor in my business and trying something new fearlessly, that's when innovation happens. And that's where you really make an impact that's permanent and, and really changing in this world. Hmm. So yeah, disrupt, don't duplicate. So I want to pause here for a second because one of the themes of all of these things, in my experience, is that if you're disrupting, if you're going out there, if you're doing new things, if you're trying trying to be at the edge and you're you're working your your butt off. Is that the emotional experience is one of maybe confusion, imposter syndrome, turmoil, mm-hmm. questioning, like doubt, mm-hmm. insecurity. How mm-hmm. do you reconcile those two things? And I also want to say that you being so honest on this, being like, I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I don't, like, know. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like everyone who's listened, I start most of my, like anytime I have a client or a consult or anything, I start most of it with like, you probably shouldn't listen to me. I'm a hot mess, <laughs> I, but I am a functional hot mess. So, and that word is the difference. <laughs> so, so if you want to listen to me, it's because I'm functional, but I'm still a hot mess. <laughs> isn't, but isn't that it though? I think that people have this idea that if they're super successful in business or they become the perfect parent or they get everything right, the things will that there'll be this mythical ideal of balance or that everything will be polished and perfect. And I think just blowing that shit up and and saying, Mm -hmm. actually, it feels Mm -hmm. like you're a hot mess most of the time. And that means you're doing something right. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the thing about it is, I think that whenever you're jumping into this space in this world, and you've got your brain telling you lies, and you're freaking out about whether or not you've got the clarity, or you're going to do the right thing, it breaks down into two things. The first one is to guard your greatness, right? Mm. Guard your greatness. Only you can decide who you're going to allow to influence your mindset. So don't give that power to people who don't deserve it, right? Mm. So, I mean, I know that every single day, my brain will tell me enough reasons why I can't, I won't, I shouldn't, I didn't. The last thing I need is to have people in my environment, my space, on my timeline that are saying things like, oh, yeah, this is stupid or, oh, yeah, isn't my life horrible or, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't need it. You know, I just don't need it. So my friend list when I went into entrepreneurship started out at 2,260 something, right? Now I'm at 264 people. 
And and the reason why is because I went down that list every single quarter. I call it my social media detox. Mm. I went down it every quarter and I said to myself, am I bringing something into this person's world? Am I showing them a perspective? Do they need access to my life? You know, are they adding to my life? Are they bringing in value? You know, and I shifted people around and it doesn't mean you have to do awkward unfriending. You know, some people just go into acquaintance status where you don't mm-hmm. get to see everything I mm-hmm. do and, and I don't have to see everything you do, you know, and the reason why is because I have to guard my greatness. I am great, right? You are great. Everyone who's out there, by the mere fact that you exist alone, you have worth. <laughs> so because of yes. that, you know, because of that, you have to protect it. You can't just be out in these streets acting like you don't have any sense, you know, like, you're right. worth, you know, and so because of that, it's important that you surround yourself with people who are going to support you, but also challenge you and speak truth that you need to hear when you need to hear it. So that's the first part of just sort of protecting myself from letting imposter syndrome get the best of me. I don't let other people add to it. Like it's crazy enough in my own head, you know, so that's the first part, right? <laughs> yes, yes, the yes, first part. yes. You know, and then the second part is I own my own narrative, right? So society is always going to tell me like who I am and what I deserve, that I'm a label or a checks box or a stereotype. And you know what? I'm the author of my own story. So I've become fiercely fiercely protective and focused on writing things the way it needs to be. And so if I'm not where I want to be, I have the power to restructure it until I get there. And every single day, if you're not doing something to improve yourself, you are the only person to blame for not getting where you want to go. So that doesn't mean improving yourself. I think part of one of the biggest mistakes we make is we say, well, improving myself is I'm going to start going on a three mile run every single day. And if I don't do that, then I'm not improving myself. That's not true. I started off with taking a simple book because everyone should be reading all the time. If you read 52 books a year, a book a week, like then there's no way that you can say to yourself that you aren't smarter at the end of that year, right? Because reading books will make you smarter, period. There's nothing you can do to say that that's not true. So if you're trying to read a book and you're saying to yourself, gosh, I just can't get through it. One of the things I started doing was I go to the very last page of a book and I'll see how many pages it is. If it's, you know, 300 pages or 200 pages, whatever, divide that up by the number of days that I want to read it in, whether it's seven days or 30 days. And then I commit to reading that number of pages every day. So if it's just 15 pages a day, every single day you did something to improve yourself. At the end of that month, you are one book smarter than you were when you started. So that's what I mean when I say owning your narrative and then doing things to restructure your world until your story reads the way that you want it to. Oh, I love that. Oh, my God. That social media editing is so valuable. Mm -hmm. God, what a great, great tool. Okay, so I like to close our podcasts. Well, I say that I like to close them this way, but I've only done it like Every other time. So you get the treat, which is, <laughs> which is, I just, I was just thinking, I was like, wait, I've recorded a lot of these where I haven't done that. So it sure. is. Everything's an experiment. So with you, I want to close with a rapid fire. So I want to first ask you about motherhood and then ask you about business because this is the Startup Pregnant podcast. So first, back to being a mom. What was the hardest thing about being a mom? being really invested in the success and failure of my children. So when my children don't win, I don't win. And it's just really, it's hard. It's hard. Right now, the hardest part is letting them fail Mm. and knowing that that is the guised version of success. (laughs) So it's like, if I don't put you out there and let you fail, I actually am failing. (laughs) It's a weird mind trip. Yeah, you got to push them out and let them fly. What do you wish someone had told you before you became a mom? Jeez, I'm not lacking things. I have too many things. Things from they have potty seats that actually make the toilet seats smaller so that your three year old doesn't fall in. Right? That was that was <laughs> yes, a moment yes. where I didn't feel like I was getting it right. You know, so when you're fishing your kid out of the toilet, <laughs> you know, that was one of those moments. For so those all the way up to 
you won't know how you won't know all the answers. Like if you don't know the answers, that isn't because you're failing. It's because there are no answers. Like mothers, I regularly use my community to go in there and say, hey guys, I have a mom question. I have no idea how to get an age appropriate outfit, formal outfit for a 15 year old because everything's like cut in half with crop tops. You know right, what I mean? Right, I don't know. I don't right. know how to find something, you know, that would make her feel comfortable. And if I didn't lean on the community that I have and ask questions, you literally won't. That's where the answers come from. I had no idea. I thought everybody just knew these things. And that's hmm. not true at all. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, I want to change a million lives right now. Everyone listen closely. Grab your pens. I had no <laughs> idea. I had no idea that kids who are toddlers almost up to the age of 11 don't need belts, that they're adjustable belts on the inside of their pants that are like little buttons with elastic straps that you just pull to make the waist tighter. Oh my God. I, I changed lives. Change just right lives. now. Change lives. I changed lives. I had no idea. I was out there looking on Amazon for two hours for a belt for a four year old. Not right. doesn't exist. Right. Because it's inside the pants already. And I found out from my community. I said, guys, I can't find a belt. And they were like, all pants are adjustable. Which, just <laughs> as an aside, they should do for maternity pants. I'm they just going to say. for all pants. For all pants, right? For You're like, pants. did I have tacos today or not? Great. I, I can release one button. <laughs> <laughs> what? is the biggest misconception about motherhood. So like something you thought or believed before you became a mother or that you think society believes. Oh my gosh. The biggest misconception, which I cackle about all the time, is that someone can do it better than you can. <laughs> that is the, it's hilarious to me that people think that, you know, because like Susie is the one who always comes in and always brings the cupcakes and she's a classroom monitor and she like throws the best parties, that for some reason she's a better mother than you are. Like, absolutely not. She just does it differently. I came from parents who came from Ghana, West Africa, grew up in Discovery Channel thatch hut roofs and, you know, my mom worked as a secretary for a boating insurance company in like the catacombs of the offices. And, you know, here I am, you know, with an amazing career, an amazing business, you know, being an impact in this world. And no one would have ever suspected that from someone like that based on society's misconception. So oh. what she did right, though, was show up for me every day, teach me what matters, made sure that I knew how to respect the opportunities that were given to me and make sure that I understood my purpose and my worth. Mm. If you do those things for your kids as well as, you know, feed them and stuff, <laughs> you'll do fine. <laughs> you'll do. So similar questions for entrepreneurship. What was the hardest thing about becoming an entrepreneur? Oh, you're going to fail every single day. Every single day you're going to fail and you're going to think that, you know, the fact that you failed in that moment means that you're going to fail at the process when in reality, failure is an event, not a person. Hmm. Ah, yes. What do you wish someone had told you before you became an entrepreneur? Failure is an event, not a person. What do you think is the biggest misconception? You know, people looking from the outside, oh, entrepreneurs are always doing this. I think now one of the biggest misconceptions is people aren't being vulnerable. They're not wearing their story on the sleeve. They're not sharing the ugly bits and everything. So what's happening is people are thinking entrepreneurship looks a certain way when in reality, entrepreneurship looks like tears. It looks like big wins followed by big losses. There's lots of ups and downs. It's not, you know, um, my ties on a beach in the Bahamas with a laptop floating on your way too skinny knees. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's, that isn't, I don't know what that is. 
Yeah, but I yeah. mean, floating laptops. I've never seen you know it. I mean? Yeah. <laughs> For me, maybe like, you know, two to three weeks a year when I'm on vacation. And if I'm on vacation, my laptop shouldn't be on my knees. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. So, a thousand percent. One of those, you know, so I think that that is one of the biggest misconceptions out there. Entrepreneurship is work. You, you know, it's doing the work. It's serving. But there's joy because what you're doing, no, serves a purpose in this world. So, yeah, that's entrepreneurship for real. Wow. Wow. Thank you. So where can people find you and what's next for you? So everyone can find me at NicoleWalters.tv. You can find me there. If you put in your email address, I will actually be in touch with you pretty regularly because I love to send out emails probably once a week with photos of me. I look really good in like an 8 by 11 frame pewter on a mantle. So you're welcome. <laughs> I I'm just kidding. I said business tips. I said business tips, positive things, what I'm up to, events that I'll be in. I do brag on my kids a little bit too. So you may you may actually get a photo here and there. Yeah. And Nicole has an amazing Periscope channel where she answers questions and talks and riffs about amazing ideas. And I love it. You're so approachable, accessible, and real. And you just speak from the heart. And it's one of my favorite things to watch. I was telling you before we got on this podcast that I was like watching like episode after episode after episode <laughs> early this morning. <laughs> Oh uh, man, they're so I'm good. Like, they're I'm like, so don't good. Don't do it to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, do the work. I did the work. All right, yes. thank you so much. I cannot wait to share this with everyone. It has been such a treat to have you here. This was so much fun, Sarah. Thanks for having me. I promised at the beginning of the episode to tell you a little bit more about the pumping journey and about how Aeroflow Breast Pumps works. They are the sponsor of this episode. So for all of you breastfeeding and pumping mamas, here is the info that you wanted. Aeroflow Breast Pumps makes the process of getting a breast pump covered through your insurance as easy as possible. They have dedicated and informed breast pump specialists to help you navigate insurance by taking care of the paperwork, the phone calls, and the prescription requests so that you can take it easy. They're available by phone, text, or email to answer any questions you have during this exciting time in your life. One of the trickiest things is the timing of everything. A lot of insurance plans only allow you to get a pump within 30 days of your due date. Let me tell you, figuring out when that baby is going to arrive and then getting everything done within these exact timeframes can be really hard. They take care of everything, including contacting your physician for a prescription, recommending the best breast pump options for you and your lifestyle, billing and processing those insurance claims, and shipping the breast pump to your door free of charge. The entire process is totally free. So if you want to work with them to get your breast pump, go to aeroflowbreastpumps.com slash startup, and they will get you started right away. Thanks for being a sponsor of Working Pumping Mamas, Aeroflow Breast Pumps. Do us a favor and give us a review and a rating in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. We are a brand new show and your ratings and reviews help tremendously in getting the word out. And please hit subscribe. If you want to tell your friends about it, share our website, startuppregnant.com. I also want to give a huge thank you and shout out to our show sponsors, Aeroflow Breast Pumps, Taskerly, Meet Edgar, Hippo Give, Fast Rope Labs, and Think Clearly. You guys made this show possible. 
One of the reasons this podcast exists in the first place is because we put out a call for sponsorships and we were overwhelmed by the response that we got. If you want to back us, head to patreon.com slash startup pregnant and become a sponsor. We have folks who contribute a few dollars a month to much more, and we would love to have your support. Our next goal is to back all of season two. So if you like what you hear and you like the stories that we're sharing and you think it's important that we build this, please, please leave a review on iTunes, hit subscribe, head over to our Patreon page. Basically, tell us that you want more of this and we will keep doing it. There are also all sorts of fun prizes and things you can get for backing at various levels of sponsorship. So if that's your jam, please do so and tell your friends about the show. That's all for today. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you on the next episode.